Welcome to Women's Thrive Podcast. This is where you'll get to hear incredible stories of female entrepreneurs, business owners, women from all groups of life. Myself, Raymond Jan, and my co-host Abigail will be interviewing incredible women, hearing inspiring stories of women from all around the world. I have no doubt that you will find something that will be life-changing for you. Make sure you hit that subscribe button and join us for our future episodes. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Women Thrive podcast. Today, we have Kylie Van Lewin. I'm so excited to speak to Kylie today. Kylie is the founder of Elevated Coaching and Consulting Global. She's an experienced executive coaching consultant with over 14 years of experience coaching and working with women from diverse backgrounds. She's passionate about working with organizations to develop social impact and person-centered programs and foster workplace diversity, equity and inclusion and psychological safety. Welcome, Kylie. It's so lovely to have you on the podcast today. Thanks, Abby. It's so good to be here. I really love what you do. I remember the first time we had a conversation and I was just looking at you and going, oh my goodness, this woman is incredible. Like the work that you do, everything that you stand for, the women that you help is really is amazing. So would you be able to share with us a little bit more about your work and, and what your company does? Sure. Um, thank you, by the way. It's always so nice to hear that people value the the work that we do. So my background is about 14 years in the nonprofit space. And part of that journey for me has been working with people who are living with disability. But when we talk about the women that we work with and our programs and coaching in particular, we do a lot of work with women who are experiencing or have experienced domestic and family violence. We've also do a lot of work and we've actually co-designed a, a recent program called Empowering You to support women from refugee backgrounds here in the US, but also um, a program that we deliver across Australia to support women who are refugees and also new migrants to shift their mindset identify what's holding them back. A lot of that is confidence because a lot of these women come to us as torture and trauma survivors and they've experienced things that only you and I could imagine. And so we work with them for quite a long period of time, usually about six months, and we transition them into sustainable and meaningful employment, which is where they regain their confidence, regain their voice. They get that financial independence back, which is so important. And yeah, that economic participation is, is just that gift of life for the women that we work with. So yeah, it's very meaningful work for us. I remember very clearly actually having that conversation with you and it was really hitting home about, for me personally, it's sometimes I forget how traumatic it must be for a woman to be in that situation. So you kind of think of the all the things that they've been through, but then you, re when you sit back and you really think about it and just think, how would I feel if I was in that position? How would that affect me mentally? How would that affect my mental health? How would that affect my confidence? That's what really struck home for me when we were having that conversation. Mm. And it's, I'm just in awe of the, the women um, that we work with. We, before we relocated to the US three months ago, 
I was working with an amazing, and I continue to work with this nonprofit in Australia now, but working with them and their team um, across all of Sydney, delivering a, a program for um, migrant women and supporting them into employment. And so far, that program has supported over 200 migrant women into employment and on their journey to employment. And it never ceases to amaze me just how resilient those women are. And they tell you their story that are often lots and lots of years of trauma, them and their children, their experience. But they tell their story like, I yesterday I went to the shop. It's just something that happened to me. And that blows me away that they're just, they're still going. I mean, there's so many stories that I've heard that are, are so traumatic, but I'm completely in awe of these women and they motivate myself and my team and inspire us every single day. So it's definitely a two-way street. Well, as I said, amazing work that you're doing. And congratulations on your move to America. We were, <laughs> we were talking about actually before we hit record is, I, I think our audience would be really intrigued, actually, because I was saying that sometimes people might just assume from your accent that you're actually in Australia, but you're not. You've you've moved to America. That's a big move. Yeah, it's been huge. And it, it took 12 months to go through the visa process and, and establish the company here last June. And then it took us that 12 months to go through the immigration process and the visa process. And Yes, yeah, setting it up and building the team over here. But it's funny because a lot of the people, the clients that we work with here now in the US, we engaged 12 months ago when we were still in Australia. And I'd be up having meetings at 3, 4 a.m. in the morning and they'd be like, where are you now? Are you in Sydney or are you in Australia? I mean, the accent gives it away and I'd be like, yes. And now I'm here and they still think that I'm in Australia, but it's not. My American accent hasn't really kicked in just yet. Getting into the habit of curling my R's a little more. So asking for water. I'm trying to say it more British, actually. Happy. I was asked the other day, are you British? And I thought, oh, all of my British friends, you poor thing, someone with this accent and they confuse me with your beautiful British accent. No, not British, Australian. I When I lived in America and also when I go over as well, I think sometimes you just have to just naturally fall into more of a accent when people will really understand what you're saying. Yeah, I get that. I understand it completely. Yeah. Well, congratulations on your move. I hope your working hours have got a little bit more, no, shall we say normal, whatever normal is. I hope you're not yeah. in the middle of the night all the time. <laughs> oh, no, no. The Aussie team were saying to me before I left, no no 75-hour weeks. Like, let's think about the self-care here, Kylie, and well-being. And it's gotten much better. We have peaks and troughs with our Aussie clients with big projects and things, but typically our working days over here are much better now. So, yeah. I, I find it interesting to speak to amazing entrepreneurs like you who or at different stages within their business, because I do feel that when we're growing our business, we do go through these different stages and peaks and drops. And I feel like there's said to me with new business owners or business owners that have been in for a few years that are still growing and scaling, there seems to be this whole like, oh, when I get to a certain part within my business, it's like I've made it and everything will be fine. But actually... It, it then brings up different layers of 
you're talking about this work-life balance, you're growing, you're scaling, and there's more responsibility. How do you find that time for yourself? You should see my diary. It's really, it, I, I have to, and my team knows this and my family know this. We have, my, my husband and I have a, a shared calendar. So we have family and business, but it, it, I'm looking at it now and it's giving me the just total cringes. I have to schedule that. It sounds really OCD, doesn't it? But I actually have to schedule that time in. So I have my journaling and mindset in the morning, like early. I mean, I wake up a quarter to five, so I have to create space in my day for the things I know I need. But I have to schedule the hour at the gym every day. And just so that people know that it's blocked out, it's unavailable. It's a non-negotiable. And that's what I realized pretty early on after launching the company in Australia is that I had to be really intentional about how I spent my time, but I had to establish really clear boundaries and non-negotiables because in my you know job before I launched the company, I was really physically unwell because of burnout and just the long hours and it just craziness. And so I, I never wanted to experience that again for me or for my family. And being a role model for my daughter as well, who's 15, I, I just didn't want her to see that again. And so for me, it's diarising it, being really very organised, but you, you have to give yourself permission to prioritise yourself and your own self-care and well-being. There, I think there's a deep conditioning, definitely. Is, I speak to so many women that find it really difficult to put themselves first because we mm. wear, wear so many hats. Mm-hmm. And that, yeah, that self-care is so important. And I love the fact that you schedule things in. I do the same, like schedule the dog walk. I'm like, no, yeah. you're meeting with me, taking the dog for a walk or I'm sitting down in a meeting lunch or I'm exercising. So, so important. I would really love to hear from you more about like a deeper understanding of the work that you do. Mm-hmm. I'd really love to know, like, what brought you to this? Why have you created this business and why do you do what you do? Oh, such a loaded question, but such a good one. I hope we've got two hours for this section. No, just kidding. I think that my purpose, it goes all the way back to my mum as my role model, as my primary female role model. She was very philanthropic and I saw that when she was doing what she did to help others and her purpose, she was really lit up. And back then, as a child growing up in their 80s, showing my age now, purpose wasn't a thing or having a why. It was just, you you need to go to work and earn money. But I would see her light up when she was helping children that were really sick and she was giving back because she had been a really sick child and in and out of hospital all of her um, childhood. And so it made me sort of think about what would why was mum driven by certain things and all the rest of it and just how many people it's really not funny but astounding that when she passed away when I was 22 how many people came to her funeral and said she she changed their life she was like a second mum to so many people including my friends but my soccer friends and just seeing the impact that she had on other people and how people just naturally gravitated towards her. And again, we didn't really talk about energy and and things like that. And so fast forward, I guess, to when I went through uni and started looking at my career path, there were things that I started doing 
probably more in my from my early 30s until now that would light me up. And I think that's the essence of purpose and what your why is, is you need to do, I always say to to my coaching clients, but also my daughter who's starting to think at 15 what her career might look like, you need to do more of what you love and what really sets your soul on fire. And so when I, I never intended to starting to start my own company, my purpose was always to be a CEO of a nonprofit, of a national nonprofit in Australia, never thought about really moving to America. New York and I always had a love affair and that was sort of a Carrie Bradshaw moment. But I never really thought about those things. I wanted to be a CEO, have a seat at the table as a woman, as a female leader, and to continue my work in the nonprofit space in Australia and to do to have a position, not really of power, that wasn't really the thing for me, but to hold a position like a CEO so that I could make a difference. And then when I got to that place, it wasn't what it was cracked up to be. And so when I decided to leave my last job, my husband said, what are all the best bits from the last five years since you've been an executive in the nonprofit space? And I said, well, I love coaching and mentoring women. And, I, and he's like, right, so you need to do more of that. And then what are the other things sort of on the consulting side? And so I named a couple of those. And he was like, well, you love these things, but you're also really exceptional at these things. These are aligned to your strengths, but also your core values. And so that's when he said, you, you probably should start your own thing, was his wording. And then I, the name just, the elevate and elevated just came to me because it was all about elevating and, and elevating, I guess, people's mindsets because that's where it all begins is what we're telling ourselves and where we are right now in our journey as far as our mindset and what parts of that might be holding us back. But also then looking at the consulting side was elevating business practices and making sure that the individuals we support can then move into supportive, psychologically safe environments, workplaces. And so it just seemed to make sense to me to start a firm on that basis. And look what your thing has grown into now. <laughs> Quite a big thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and lots of people have said, how did you build the business? How have you grown it? What are you doing to scale it? And I'm, I, I, I don't want to sound arrogant, but it was a lot of it was not intentional. It was just not being wed to the outcome. It was and not being wed to generating certain amounts of revenue. For me, it was always just having that belief that if we did good work, the work would take care of us. And if we focused on the purpose and the impact, as in co-designing social impact programs with nonprofits and how many women from different backgrounds we want to support into employment, I just had this feeling that the revenue comes, the money comes, but it was being really clear and intentional and conscious about what impact we wanted to have. I love that we get to do this, that we get to build businesses like that. And I think it's very brave also because, again, there's this real thought process or I guess you can look back at other businesses that have been built in different ways and think, I have to do it in that way. I have to go for the profit. I have to build things that make sense and that have maybe been tried and tested before. But to actually be so purpose-driven and really base that on your values and what you love to do and trust, that will be successful because it's your soul that's creating 
get. I just think it's amazing opportunities that we have to be able to do that, to build it the way that we want to build it, not based on somebody else's experience or opinions. Yeah, exactly. And my previous job, that my my previous employment experience wasn't all positive and not like a lot of people. And what I wanted to do is create something that took the best bits of my leadership journey and all the leaders that I've looked up to that I've learned from and continue supporting people that were experiencing unemployment or women from all different backgrounds, but take all the best bits and leave the not so great bits aside and and really learn from the mistakes that I've seen leaders make, which is really only focusing on purpose when they say they're non-profit, things like that, or really uh, saying they're one thing externally uh, to stakeholders, but internally being something totally different, creating toxic workplaces that are psychologically injuring really amazing people. And yeah, I I wanted to sort of change the narrative for sure. So that's what we do. Riley, you've talked, you've mentioned a couple of times about psychologically safe spaces. Can you talk into that? What does that mean? So in a nutshell, we, and we do a lot of the work mainly in workplaces. So we will, in our consulting work, but also in our leadership coaching work, what we do is we, we go into our workplaces and we support leaders, CEOs and leadership teams to understand how to create an environment where their teams feel safe, where they feel included, respected, seen, heard, all of those things that we need. And you know this from the work that you do as well, Abby, is that if people don't have those things, they don't feel like they can speak up or contribute because they're scared of retribution or punishment or that there'll be consequences or that they'll be made fun of. And particularly with the groups of people we work with when it comes to supporting people on their journey to sustainable, meaningful employment, a lot of those people are women. A lot of those women are women from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds or women of colour. A lot of the other people we support are people living with disabilities. So in the context of that, we I re- always say I refuse to work with employers or corporates that don't have a genuine focus on inclusion and psychological safety in their workplace environment because what happens is we will work with employers and then if those participants or those individuals have a bad experience and it's actually not a positive workplace culture or it's quite a toxic workplace culture, what happens is then those people are at risk of further trauma or psychological injury like depression, anxiety because they've been discriminated against or harassed or just been subjected to unethical work practices. And so that's in a nutshell what we do and why we're so passionate about it. We do a lot of work with employers, a lot of our nonprofit clients. We do a lot of that HR and diversity, equity, inclusion and psychological safety consulting so that they can understand why it's important, like the why behind doing it. And then we consult with them and, and partner with them on the how part of it. How do they then go on and create those types of safe spaces for all employees, not just particular groups of people. And then we also do a lot of, unfortunately, I'd love to not do any of this type of work, but we also do a lot of 
consulting and coaching work for individuals that call us and say, hey, I think I'm being bullied or I think I'm about to be fired or terminated. Can they do this? Is this legal? I need a support person. Can you help me? So we do, unfortunately, a lot of that work and also work with employees that have acquired psychological injuries whilst in the workplace. I love that you're talking about really helping the employers to understand the why first, mm-hmm. that they really understand the impact. I, I think that when you truly understand the impact, then you can start to put yourself in somebody else's shoes because it might not necessarily be that they've never been in that situation or they don't understand like the impact or the consequences. Yeah. Like, everyone has different experiences, right? Yeah. And it is a kind of a sad conversation as well. It's like you say, unfortunately, these things happen. They still happen. A lot. It's so sad, Abby. Just the individual will, will come to us needing support for whatever that looks like. But then you see the impact on their spouse, their children. A lot of the time it results in workers' compensation. So they're off on work. So people then lose their purpose, right? They've been in a toxic work environment. They've acquired a psychological injury because of how they've been treated unfairly in the workplace. And then they go on workers' compensation or they leave completely. They just resign because they can't handle it. And then we do the career coaching side. So we, we have to be there along this side, this individual. And that's the beautiful work is seeing them come out the other end and coaching them to prepare for interviews and move forward in their life and career. But the confidence that it just knocks the confidence out of people having an experience like that. And unfortunately, we're doing a lot of work with men in sort of 50 and over that bracket at the moment where they overnight become a shell of the human being that they used to be. They really have no confidence and it impacts their marriages and their relationships. And that's why a lot of them have got suicidal thoughts and they can't provide for their families. You can see this huge knock-on effect that it has all because they were treated in a way, in a manner in the workplace that they should never have been exposed to. Yeah. I'm sure that we can all resonate with that. And we've witnessed that so many times. So Kylie, you were talking about the why and the how, what are the principles around it? How do you deliver this? How do you make a difference? Start with the leaders. So understanding, are you interested or interested in engaging us because you have a diversity, equity, inclusion box you need to tick for reporting purposes, right? If any of my clients listening to this, they're probably shaking their heads going, oh, we've heard this so many times. (laughs) Don't do it if it's just a tick the box exercise. But it's really starting with the leaders and getting that conversation happening around what's your understanding of diversity, equity, inclusion, access and belonging? What does that mean to you as leaders? Because you're going to be the ones leading this change. And so as a leader, everybody's looking at you as the role model to role model, the new and appropriate behaviours, all those things. So it's we really start with the leaders and understand where the company is right there in their journey. Usually they're right at the very beginning or funnily enough, they think they're right at the end and they've ticked all the boxes and they're fantastic until we go in and say, oh, there's actually a lot more you could be doing. This is an evolving piece of work. This isn't, again, a tick the box exercise and then you're done. It's always something that can be improved upon. We talk to the leaders about that, but we also talk about things that don't 
naturally occur to leaders when they're thinking about diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility and psychological safety? Things like how your meeting's scheduled. There's a meeting scheduled. How do they access those meetings? So we talk about accessibility to things. We talk about physical accessibility as well to offices and office spaces. But then we talk about things like language. And we really emphasize the fact that on this journey, things like language matter. So the language we use in the workplace, is it inclusive to all people? Is it respectful? So we really do. We start, the very first thing that we do is we start with the leaders because usually you can get a really good sense of where they are on that journey and how successful this might be as a change management process with who's leading it. I know that you're saying all of this, Kylie. I think back to, I was a corporate, I was a senior corporate leader for many, many years. And I think sometimes when you are, especially when you're managing teams of people and you have a real duty of care, to those people you have to kind of just go on like your natural instincts and what as a kind human being Mm -hmm. but actually when the conversations then happen in the workplace and really bring that like to the conscious your consciousness is, is there anything that we're doing that isn't aligned to that what am I saying what am I doing like really really thinking about it Mm -hmm. and it's like you say there's going to be some an alignment there. So these conversations need to happen. We need to have these conversations. And seriously, don't get me started on these tick boxes, like pledge to do this and we need to set our targets and yep, tick, 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 tick. But actually, what are we really doing about it? Mm-hmm. Are we practicing what we're preaching? Are we really putting it in? Or is it just like ticking the box to make us feel good? Yeah, we could do a whole podcast on that. <laughs> Oh, we could we we could have a whole new podcast on that, right? Keep us podcast on it, yeah. <laughs> Especially speaking for you and I, because we've been leaders, like executives and senior leaders, as women, and we know that gender is one of those tick the boxes. We need to have this amount of women in leadership roles, this amount of women on the board, but just appointing those women is not enough. What kind of mentoring programs do we have? What kind of environment have we built and are we continuing to build to make sure that women are included, that we're having these conversations with women at the table? Often there's a lot of these DEI efforts that are made and and women and gender are a big consideration, but with very little input from women and from different women, from women of colour, from women who are parents or mothers, from women who might identify as LGBTQ, uh, and that's where we talk about intersectionality. It's not just women. It's women that may be living with a disability that might be invisible. There's lots of considerations, but unless you have lived experience, you just naturally as a human being, you don't consider it unless you do this type of work. So it's really getting to the nitty-gritty and understanding where the leaders are and what their level of commitment is because it's not a short journey. It's not a sprint. It's definitely a marathon. And are they in it for the right reasons? Because that will be the momentum that, that carries them through. Mm-hmm. And that's where the values come in, right? The leading from those values. And I was going to say to you, 
my need would be very different to another woman's need. I'm very aware of the fact that I'm a white woman with blonde hair. And that in itself would potentially bring different privileges to me as opposed to maybe a woman of color, woman from a different country, woman with, like you say, different diversity. So there's so much to unpack here, but I'm very conscious of the time and I feel like we've only just scratched the surface, but I'd really love for you to share with our audience where they can find out more about you and your work. They can find me on LinkedIn. So we have a company page for Elevated Coaching Consulting Global, but I've also got my own LinkedIn page, which is where I do most of my communicating with my community on LinkedIn. And we've also got Instagram and we have our website, which which is elevatedconsulting.net. So anybody can reach us there. Our website's actually due to be relaunched in two weeks. Yay. After six months of redesigning and rewriting content and just bringing it to the 2.0, just sort of two and a half years of evolving. So that's something to keep an eye out for. Super exciting. That's fantastic. And we're so, so excited that you are one of our amazing speakers on the Women Thrive Summit. What are you most looking forward to about your talk? Engaging with other women. So I I think that the most powerful thing about the summit for me will be using, telling my story. I think storytelling is so powerful, right? Telling my story and just in the hope that even one woman, it will resonate with one woman who is on a similar career trajectory or thinking about starting her own business or really recognizing that perhaps there's something more to her life. My my talk's all about finding your purpose and using your core values to navigate that journey. So for me, it'll be just telling my story and, and hopefully just helping even one woman to find what her purpose is and bringing that alignment and fulfillment to her life. Well, we are very excited to hear your talk. Thank you for being part of the Women Thrive Summit and being part of the community as well. Thanks for having me. <laughs> right. It's a great journey that we're all on for the next six months and beyond. Yes. We're all a lovely Women Thrive speaker community. <laughs> so it will continue. You can't get rid of us that easily, Kylie. I was just going to say, none of us will want to leave. You're going to have this community of a million women worldwide. That might be the new vision, right? None of us are going to want to leave. Even after March, we'll all be still holding on to the Women Thrive community. It's such a beautiful one you built, you and Ramonda. Very early on when we were doing our speaker calls, because we obviously finished one summit, so it was March, and then we kind of started the calls a few months later. And a lot of our former speakers were still coming on the call. <laughs> That'd be us. You'll see me for three years. Like, Kylie, yes. you have something better to do. You never know. I might be in the UK by then. You might Very be in nice. Australia and I might be in the UK. Let's do that. We'll do a swap. <laughs> like that movie, The Holiday. <laughs> yes, The Holiday. We're like, Kylie, you're not on this summit anymore. <laughs> you will always be, always be welcome on our calls. Oh, thank you. Ali, thank you so much for coming on and sharing, I think, first and foremost, about the really valuable work that you do. I've never heard the term psychological safe spaces. It makes sense when you talk about it. But I love that terminology and it's definitely a, a conversation to continue for all of us 
know, all of us have a responsibility and a duty of care, not just for ourselves, but the communities that are around us. So I think what you've sh- well, I know that what you've shared with us is it, it just, it brings that to the forefront. I think we need to be very conscious around what are the environments that we're creating within our spaces? What is the language that we're using? Is it inclusive? Are we taking into consideration people from different backgrounds and ethnicities and cultures? Is it including everyone? And are we creating these spaces that not only feel safe, but are also encouraging people from all walks of life to thrive? And that is so important. And also, I really loved hearing snippets as well of how you run your business as a leader, as a CEO of a successful business and how you manage your time as well with that. So it's been a really valuable conversation. Thank you, Kylie. Thanks, Abby. So fun. Always great to chat to you. So fun. And thank you so much, everyone, for watching. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode. Love to know your feedback and anything that's come up for you. Please reach out to us here at Women Thrive Media. And of course, to Kylie, you know where to find her. Follow her, listen to her, connect in with her on LinkedIn. And we will see you on the next episode of the Women Thrive podcast. Thank you for tuning in to Women Thrive Podcast. If you found today's episode empowering and inspiring, be sure to subscribe and follow us. Better yet, leave a review and share it with others. We're committed to bringing you more stories that will empower and inspire you on your own journey. Until next time, keep listening, keep learning, and keep pursuing your dreams.